Welcome, everybody, to another tech to You Tuesday. I am your host, Ian Reeder, General Manager of tech to You, and with me again today is Ryan Beck, our Remote Support Department Manager, and uh, we've got some uh, got a good amount of topics we want to get through today. Um, before we get started, what was that uh, thing that you said about smells that remind you of childhood? They were just talking about this on the show. Sounds like everybody's childhood smell is just cigarettes. cigarettes. Yeah. yeah, except for when you smell cigarettes. It just makes me want cigarettes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I never, I never got it. Thankfully, I never got addicted to smoking cigarettes. I, first time I, I tried one, I think I got like a headache and felt nauseous. <laughs> so it's it's like, the second one that gets you. Yeah, so. not for me. Um, so uh, we got a few things we wanted to run through today. I'm going to try and try and hit uh, all of these little points uh, in the right order. And, uh, first thing I wanted to go over was, um, some, some news that's been kind of trickling in over the last few weeks. There was a recent law that passed, uh, governor Newsom signed it about, uh, right to repair laws in California. And the reason why that's really something that's beneficial for us is because it expands beyond, um, just very simple consumer fixes of things. Um, it's cell phones, it's laptops, it's, it's any consumer device, uh, primarily consumer devices too with with uh, batteries so like portable devices is kind of the, one of the big targets uh, so laptops obviously but same thing goes with with computers as well um, so it was last month Newsom signed SB 244 in a law making it easier for owners to repair devices on their own but but important for us is tech to you anyway is it allows us access to stuff that we don't currently have access to uh, one of the things that's been like incredibly frustrating for years is Apple puts some of their parts behind this like locked kingdom of you're not good enough to fix our stuff. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, I'm sure that's what they just want to use as their reason. Right. Yeah. So there was a, uh, there was a period of time, man, I want to say it was probably like eight years ago where Apple was still officially allowing companies like ours to get access to repairing certain parts. Um, but you had to go through this like this process. And so we we submitted an application to to try to do it and it was a nightmare. Just yeah, don't you have to meet a whole bunch of just weird arbitrary requirements? One of them was like even the color of your lobby. Yeah. Yeah. Like they walked in and it was like, oh, we have an off white lobby with tile floors and we chose like granite countertops in some some of them. And they're like, that's not you can't do that. It has to be like white acrylic. Like Doesn't it was meet Apple's vision. Right. Yeah. It was basically like you need to make yourself an Apple store and if you want to touch our stuff. Right. And then a bunch of exclusive things. It was ridiculous. So um, this law is, is something that uh, New York has passed a similar one, but uh, California's is, is the most um, strict. Basically what it says is if you buy a device and that device costs between 50 and $100, then you are you need to be given at least three years of access to support on that device. So that means that like parts should be available for it. Um, if you pay over a hundred dollars, it's seven years of support, Ooh. which is funny because Google announced the pixel, the new pixel recently. Don't they already have like six or seven years? Of they were support? like seven years of support on the new pixels. And it was like right at the same time that this law was I think getting previously signed. it was five already. I'm so it's not sure. like they weren't it wasn't bad. Yeah, no. It's just that Android devices in particular are not like notorious for having a long lifespan of, of software support. Right. 
And that's not Google. That's a lot of times like Samsung. Yeah. You know, they'll give you like three years Motorola. of support. And then, yeah, sorry, you can't get the new Samsung op- or the new Android operating system. On they your- just won't release it. Right. Yeah. Or you can't install it because the hardware is not compatible, whatever it is. So anyway, now there's, there's going to be a, a little bit more force on these companies to provide uh, support to consumers for, for devices. Now, when it comes to the repair side of things, um, Apple is in this unique position right now where this law doesn't really affect them that much. The thing we would care about is like, let's say you break, let's say you break the screen on your iPhone and you are interested in, in swapping this yourself. You fit, you watch the YouTube video. Uh, you went to iFixit, which is a great website for, they'll like, sell you the toolkit for that device, right? They'll give you the toolkit. They'll give you a video breakdown. <laughs> they give you a step-by-step written breakdown, show you exactly how to repair your own stuff. It's really cool. Um, then, then you, you know, you want to take this on and do it yourself. You have to be able to buy the part. And that's one of the things that Apple hasn't done is they don't allow consumers to walk into a store or go to their website and buy a replacement screen. Right. So this law, the way it's written, it doesn't force them to do that. It just says if you're supplying parts now that you need to supply them for longer. Well, they're already not supplying parts in the first place. The other thing it doesn't do is it doesn't say you have to make the parts affordable so they can, so Apple can just say, okay, well, we're going to make these parts available to consumers, but if you want a screen at 750 bucks or you could just bring it into us, we'll fix it. And it's 500. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with that, with, with the way this is written. So it's a step in the right direction, but it's not going to provide as much help as, as we would hope. Um, the other thing, uh, about this okay so yeah laws don't dictate that it's gonna it needs to be affordable um but there's also uh software locks which is something that's kind of written into this law it's more of like a nuance what's going to happen is like a lot of new laws that get written they have to get challenged first to find out exactly what the law means so like in in california will pass an employee law that says like you have to pay employees under these conditions and then an employee doesn't get paid, so they sue their employer, and a judge says, that does, in this gray area, that's not how this works. So like laws have to get challenged a lot of times for us to know what they, what they really mean. One of the gray areas of this law is software locks. So what that means is um, if you replace your screen in a MacBook Pro, and that MacBook was made after, what is the year? We, 2017, 2018. Um, there's a chip on your MacBook that it so you can physically replace it it holds this there each the, there's a part number or a serial number for each of the parts inside of the Sc- mac screen keyboard ram trackpad. cpu any any part on there and if you replace any one of those parts now there's a mismatch on the serial number between that chip and that part and it just won't boot anymore. won't work it'll basically just say it'll soft sorry lock. Yeah, yeah, you can't use this device. It right. has un, un, uh, unrecognized hardware. And only Apple can make the changes necessary to add that right. serial number. Yeah, the and there's kind of a, I almost want to call it a black hat way to, to force that change. Like you can, you could sort of hack it, if you will. Um, it, but it voids a warranty, and and you're and you're you're kind of zeroing out your serial number on the device, and it looks sketchy. It's kind of like it's kind of like scrubbing the serial number off of a gun. Like it, it doesn't look good to do that. And um, so while there are kind of workarounds, it's not really one that we would advise. But uh, one of the things that we we want to see is as as a company that provides technical support, and as you know, nerds 
that have family that ask us constantly to fix stuff, for, right. f- fix whatever devices for them. Um, we would love to see the ability for people to do this on their own and for us to be able to perform services that we can't because of these software locks. Right. So while this right to repair movement is moving in the right direction, um, I don't think we're going to see the overnight changes that we're hoping for. Um, what, what I think will be helpful in the coming months and years is that consumers can probably get better support for devices. So like you, you just bought a new phone. What was it? This was the Pixel 8. That's the one that just came out, right? Yes. I can't, can't even keep up with them. Um, so that was the that this pixel announced by Google has seven years of support. Yeah. Um, part of that was influenced by this law. Google won't say that, but obviously, they were going to need to anyway. So they're yeah. just the first to comply with it, basically. Um, how long do you think you'll hold on to it, assuming it doesn't break? Knowing how long the Pixel Two that I had the last time I got it has lasted, mm. and how much I don't want to switch over to a Samsung phone again and won't ever get an iPhone probably. I'm probably going to keep this for a long time. You think uh you think you'll exceed 4 years? Yeah. That's impressive, man. I I haven't I haven't kept a phone for longer than 2 years. But obviously a part of that is just like I have a problem. Oh, yeah, yeah I mean, the upgrade you know. cycle I've, I've done the same thing. That's the first step in, in uh, solving is, is acknowledging your problem, right? I have a problem. I'm you here. also have to want to go to the next step, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really enjoy having the newest stuff. I've gone a couple of, of um, breaks where like the upgrade just was like, eh, there's not they, enough value. There's so much of a benefit to doing it sooner rather than later. You turn in your old one, you get... 300 500 bucks of credit toward it most of that for me is why i do it i i usually private sell do you really want to keep a bunch of lithium batteries for 10 bucks? i know yeah right yeah so i usually private sell uh my phones i'll i'll buy a new one and then i'll and then i'll list this one on you know craigslist or offer up or whatever and then i'll sell it for the maximum value i can get for it i take really good care of my stuff so i usually get the majority of the value back uh, maybe let's say like 85 percent. yeah so I'm, I'm i'm effectively at this point i'm, I'm paying kind of like 15 to 20 percent of the cost of a new phone every every year that i upgrade yeah um it's not really something that i recommend and the reason i like this this right to repair movement part of the reason why this is such a good thing is you don't have to go through all the work that i'm going through you should theoretically be able to keep a device that has support for a longer period of time. Right. And that even expands to things like what Apple got caught doing, which was... Oh, pushing the software updates to slow your phone battery power. Right. Yeah. So what happens is the way lithium ion batteries work is that they degrade over time. So after a year of using a phone, charging it to 100% every night, um, and it's charged 100% at 10 p.m., and it stays charged to 100% until 6 a.m., you're degrading the quality of that battery, which is why... Well, nowadays, they most of them trickle charge. Right. So if you have the option to allow it to, quote-unquote, smart charge is yeah. one of the ways that Apple will call it, um, they won't even charge the phone to 100% until, like, Closer when it knows you're going to wake up. up. Yeah, yeah, you usually set an alarm. It kind of knows. It, it'll determine your habits. It's pretty easy for it to get good at that. And uh, so you expand the life of your battery, um, but when it gets to like, let's say 90% of its original capacity, you know, your year goes by and it, 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 yes, it charges to hundred percent. You'll see the battery say hundred percent, but it doesn't last as long. It drains faster. So the way Apple solved that was they said, well, we don't want people's battery to, to die faster. So what we'll Whether do is you like it or not. Exactly. Whether, you don't have a choice. <laughs> and we're not even going to tell you we're doing it. 
we're going to underclock the CPU, which just means that the frequency that it's running at this like high frequency, so it can do fast calculations, we're going to slow that down so it consumes less power. So for the longest time, people were like, I swear I did a software update and it's been a year and now all of a sudden my phone is slower. You were right. That was happening. Yeah. And it still kind of is. Um, Apple's gotten, when they got busted, you know, uh, for lack of a better phrase, they they did acknowledge it. They said this Sorry, is, not sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How dare consumers have a say in their own technology? This is like Apple's motto. <laughs> We're so sorry that you caught us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so now they give you an option that says like, well, you can still keep it at peak, per- peak performance and you'll just have a degraded battery. And that's fine. Like I'd yeah. rather I'd rather my phone move faster and I just have to plug it in now and again to to get the battery where it needs to be. But even better, when the battery degrades, I want the ability to replace it myself. Right. And one of the other parts of this law is um batteries need to be user replaceable. This is the, now this is right to repair as a large uh thought more so than this particular law. EU is going to require nearly all consumer electronics to have easily replaceable batteries by 2027. Thank you again. Now the hope to the European Union is that this makes every phone just have an easily replaceable battery. What I'm afraid of is uh, what we get here with catalytic converters, (laughs) which is that we have 49 state catalytic converters, and then we have California compliant catalytic converters. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we who knows? Uh, I one of the other things that came up recently about the again EU being progressive about um, consumer rights with technology is uh, they had a um, a law. I don't know if it's passed or if it or if it's going to pass soon or expected to, but um, Apple is starting to prepare for it. We're seeing it kind of in in uh, new versions of software. You know how when new versions of like beta testing software comes out, people find things in those beta programs that aren't out to the public yet. That's like, wait, this is a hint that you're probably going to do this other thing. That's cool. The European Union has basically said, Apple, you are holding your consumers hostage by only allowing them to get apps from the app store. Right. And you can't do that anymore. You need to open up that that walled garden. You need to let them put their apps in from wherever they want to. Um, I agree with that conceptually, which is that you should be able to use your device however you want. As long as you're not doing anything illegal or harming somebody, you should be able to do anything that you want with whatever device you've got. And so conceptually, I do agree with the EU's ruling on this. Um, but there is a reason why Apple does this beyond the monetary benefit. They make, oh God, I don't know, who knows how many billions of dollars by locking the apps. 30% but, yeah. of everything ever sold yeah. inside of their app store, the subscriptions you sign up for. You know what? Quick tip. If you sign up for a subscription on any app using an iPhone, don't go to that subscription company's website first yeah. because they charge less. Or an Android phone. It, any, Android's any the Andro- same? Any Android device. That's, I guess it is, isn't it? Because sub- they, they have their, their, cut, their, their cut that they're getting too. Little, so yeah. a good example of that would be if you sign up for YouTube Premium on an iPhone, you pay 30% more just because you signed up from your phone versus if you go directly to YouTube's website and sign up there, you're going to pay less. Yeah. And it's because... Google is fed up with having their cut taken, so they just mark it up on the App Store. That was a whole. That was part of the uh, fight between God. What is it? Epic, Epic's Fortnite 
on the App Store. Still, as far as I know, Fortnite's still <laughs> not in an iPhone. Well, you can't... Uh, I don't know if they took Fortnite completely off of iPhone, for- but I know that for a while, they stopped letting people uh, make purchases right. in, in the App Store on uh, uh, iPhones because Fort- they were having to charge people more. Fortnite is still not on iPhone. Yeah. And it was I be- think they're still having... A, they're oh, Epic battle. lost that battle. Oh, did yeah, they? Yeah, because uh, they, they sued Apple and basically said, hey, Epic is the people who make Fortnite. Yeah. Um, they said, uh, we don't like that Apple is taking a cut, so we're going to kind of put this sliver in our application that routes people a different yeah. way to pay us. And Apple was like, hey, you violated the terms of service. That's not how our app store works. You need to give us our cut or we're taking your app off the market. And they did, and they've stuck by it. And it doesn't mean anything to Apple. They no. don't care at all. No. Fortnite and Epic are massive companies, but they're a drop in the bucket compared yeah. to what Apple makes in a day. They could care less about Epic Games and, and the millions of people playing Fortnite. They want their money. Yeah. So the EU is forcing them uh, to allow sideloaded apps, and we're starting to see um, remnants of that in beta software that's probably only going to be released in Europe. Yeah. So what probably is going to happen is exactly what you were saying is like there's the California only catalytic converter. There's probably going to be an EU only version got the, of the software. The iPhone 1901A dash yes, EU. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Custom. And you know, I, as much as again, I, I'll, I'll reiterate, I like that. Um, I like that we're getting these things to advocate to consumer or advocating for consumers and that the government, especially in the EU is sucks that you literally have to force these people. It does. To do it. it does suck <laughs> that you have to force companies to do things that benefit you. Um, but at the same time, I will say of all of the companies that do make decisions on the consumer's behalf, I appreciate a lot of the decisions Apple has made. Apple's generally makes the most sense. And and it's not that I love everything about them. Um, there's a lot I hate that I can't stand, that I, I wish that they would change their Won't use hypocrites. their devices myself. Yeah, I mean... But still. It's, but they're, they're like their security, the way that they lock things down, their pri- the privacy, which leads us to another topic. We were, they, they were talking about um, on the show recently... Uh, Life 360. You're, do you, have you used that? You looked uh, looked it up at all? Seen seen what it is? I have not. So Life 360 is an app you can buy. You install it on your phone, and the basic concept of this is that you install it on your phone, and your wife installs it on her phone, and you guys can see where each other are at all times. Hate it. <laughs> Hate it already. <laughs> Get it out of my house. I don't want it here. <laughs> um, on iPhones, there's. Uh, find my so right. if we have associated accounts iCloud accounts um like we're we're, we're what's considered an apple family so right. i have my wife and my son both using iphones and we have have it set up so that we can see where where we are so we can already view each other's location without life 360 i don't i don't need to pay for life 360 terrible <laughs> I, I i know i know i can't get away with anything um Life 360 has some other benefits. Go through them real quick. Um, It offers location tracking. Uh, That's the basic one. Crash detection. It's kind of a cool thing. Like my my, that built into my phone. Yeah, it's built into iPhones now too. Like more modern phones have that. Where like if the G4 sensor of the phone 
detects a high G impact. And then it will give you like a predetermined amount of time to respond right. to a message. And if you don't, it hits Calls off an emergency relay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like a, it listens to the sound of what happened. Uh, it can even use some camera data to try to figure out like, and, it, and what's really cool is it does this all on device. Mm-hmm. So uh, w- what that means is it's not like sending data back to the mothership of like, oh, here's some camera footage and audio and G-force data from this person's phone right. to determine whether or not. It just does it on device and it says like, hey, you've been in an accident. We're going to call the police uh, or whatever. And um, so some other things, uh, Life360 does uh, location history. Uh, now for kids... I think oh, that's yeah. I think that's cool. That's great. You know, you got your your uh, middle school child who's supposed to walk home from school every day, and you see this regular deviation in their path because you have history of where they're going. Um, it makes me so happy that we didn't grow up in the era of tracking that exists now. <laughs> I mean, not that I was like a bad kid, but there's stuff that we did that you could never get away with now. You know, like there's a, there's no privacy when it comes to like your parents having your device uh, or having control of your device. So life 360 uh, offers that kind of thing. Battery life notifications. Um, One of the things that's kind of interesting about it is you can fool it. You know uh, if you're really talented, actually not even really talented. If you're using an Android device device and you're, and you're interested in fooling life 360, you can. So if you're tracking your kid and you think that they're at school, there's a chance they're not at school um, because you can install GPS emulating software to make every app in your phone think that you're in a different place. Whereas with a stock iPhone, you can't. You're not going to fool the Find My software. Uh-huh. Not easily. Um, at le- I mean, that kind of thing could theoretically be done, but it's way more challenging. It's not like something some kid could just follow instructions online and, and, and learn more about. Um, so I got a, I got an email about Live360 I wanted to, to read real quick here. Uh, this, was from, this was from Jeremy. Jeremy said, recently my 19-year-old stepdaughter talked to my, wa- uh, talked my wife into installing Live360 on her phone. Though the features of Life360 look cool, I was red flagged by the fact that it's free and had so much tracking power. Agreed. <laughs> um, the ability to see stats of a user's phone made me think of how these, how these hosts are easily gaining our data by using our own, you know, quote unquote, peace of mind against us. Basically saying, obviously, if we're giving you access to data to help keep your family safe. Um, I, I've said this a lot, which is that you know, convenience comes at the cost of security. So it's very convenient to know where your family is, but it comes at the cost of security in the sense that now you're not the only one that knows, but a private company, Live360 in this case, also knows where your family always is. Um, And it's not like they have a bad reputation or anything. I have no reason to believe that there's anybody there who's doing anything malicious or or deviant or that they even have access to view this data if they're really doing it right. Um, but the fact of the matter is it is a company that does have access to very private information. Um, after a 10-minute research, I discovered the company had been identified in the past of selling user data without age restrictions to third parties. With that alone, I did not trust the app. I convinced my, my wifey to uninstall the app but not her daughter. I only get eye rolls. What are your thoughts on the service? Well, my thoughts are that there are alternatives built into the devices that you have that don't really require you to use a service like Life360. Um, its value primarily comes from the ab- ability to identify where someone is live. And while there is 
benefit to that history data, um, it, you are giving up some privacy. And like you said, you identified that this company had sold user data before. That's something that tons of companies do. And we'll go into that a little bit more in a minute. Um, but Apple doesn't. And and Android does, but not not in the way that like Life360 got caught doing. Um, they anonymize the data. It kind of gets wrapped up in a a bundle. And they really kind of just use it internally more so than sell it. They use it internally for serving ads yeah, that are ads. catered to your interests. That's where they make their money. Um, like if they know where you're at, obviously they can serve ads for things that are in your area. Um, but the, to, to answer the basic question, is Life360 a safe product to use? I don't have any reason to believe that it's not. Um, but I will say that it is, for many people, a redundant application that accomplishes the same thing that your phone can do without using a third-party service. And whenever you can use a, a company like Google or Apple or Microsoft to provide you a service, those are companies that are scrutinized so heavily that it's really challenging for them to get away with claims of privacy that aren't true. Whereas a company like Life360, much smaller, less scrutinized in the public eye, it's a little easier for them to get away with stuff. Um, even when you mentioned their selling data, that was not one I'd heard of until you'd mentioned it. It wasn't something that really made major news, but it happens. And part of the reason it happens is, and not making major news is because it happens so often. Um, so and as the, the free portion of their product with any free service, you know, if you're getting anything that you like out of it, the reason it's free is because they're making money off of right. your information. If it's free, it's free for a reason. Yeah. And, and generally speaking, and I've said this before too, if, if it's uh, software and it's free, it's because you're the product, right. you know, you're, if, if you're using this and giving the company data, it's because you're, you are the product you're, you're yep. giving them information that has value. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit more too about these, you know, phones and, Oh, actually, um, one last thing I, I missed real quick. Oh, sorry if you hear construction noises, by the way. Super professional, but there's like repairs going on outside of my office, so. I'm just glad you didn't get one of those as a button. So you just, you got that distant knocking noise, and you're like, I'm just gonna screw with Ryan today, and you just <laughs> press a button, it makes it sound like it's knocking somewhere. Hopefully it's not too loud on the, on the, on the uh, stream. Uh, one of the other things I was going to say about Live 360 is that um, while Apple is really good about having this Find My and um, some location history built in, and it's secured behind Apple's wall, Android does have this too, but not quite as easy. Like setting up, do you and do you and your wife have a family thing that you set up on your phones? You guys have like a so I have a family thing. You do, and and I I specifically did that not just to add my wife, but to add my parents. They, I have to do all of their crap whenever anything <laughs> happens with their phones, dude. Preaching to the and, choir. <laughs> and so, you know, they never have backups for their phones. They want of all of their stuff transferred manually after the fact. Mm. And it's always after their phones are destroyed. So it's always <laughs> several hours to transfer yeah. something that should just be signing into your Google right. account and yeah. it's all backed up. So, you know, I have 200 gigs of storage on Google Drive. I can invite five family members yeah. to it and I just make them back up all their crap. Yeah, yeah, account. yeah, yeah. Um, what I haven't checked into that I actually know iPhone can do is you can share your location live with iPhones with oh. like a family member or a contact. My buddy used to do that like randomly with his sister. If he had to go pick her up, she would just respond with like, it was kind of like a pin drop. Yeah, of where they're at. But if you didn't revoke that, he could go back and see where she was oh. at a given time. I don't know if Android can do that. I I would imagine it probably can. We're talking about 
eight or nine years ago, yeah, iPhones yeah, yeah. being able to do this. That, that's um, that's actually a really good segue then into the other thing I wanted to talk about, which is if you're going to get a new phone, um, how do you lock them down for kids? Which again, this is something inspired by an email I got here from, uh, this is from Allison. She said, hi, Ian and team. I'm getting my tween daughter a cell phone for Christmas and this year, this year and I need to lock it down from downloading apps, um, accessing online web pages that are not appropriate and the ability to monitor the phone from my phone. My older boys have Life360 for stocking purposes, <laughs> but uh, n- but now that it's my girl, I need more. Oh, that's funny. Oh, so the boys got like uh, like free reign. That's funny because it would have been the total opposite. My family is like, I would have been locked down like crazy and my little sister would have been like, oh, whatever you want. I don't know. You have only brothers, huh? I have only brothers. <laughs> yeah. um, so I already ordered the phone and it will arrive in advance of Christmas, so I have time to get it all set up. So please help me out. Um, I'm dumb on an iPhone 14 and want to know if something like that. Okay. So, uh, first off an iPhone to lock it down for your kids. So I've got an 11 year old. He has an iPhone. I've locked it down for him. I can control it from my phone and I'm not paying for anything. This is all integrated in iCloud. Um, Google offers something very similar. Make child accounts that are sub accounts to your Gmail. Right. So when you're setting up a new phone, Apple and Google have both done a great job of saying, is this a device for Is this for kids? Or is it for kids? And you just kind of run through the steps. It's really not even all that complicated. And in most cases, you just kind of follow along with what it says. But um, I'll give you some key phrases to look out for with your iPhone, which is what you've mentioned here that you've got this iPhone 14. Plenty new to take advantage of all the new features and everything that it has available. Um, The main thing that you're going to be looking for is what's called uh, screen time. Uh, And there's something comparable on Android. So screen time on iPhone sounds like the amount of time the screen is on, which is kind of where it started. And it very, very quickly evolved from Apple into something significantly more robust. Same thing with Android, which is I can control the screen time of my child's device, which does mean I can say... I only want them playing games. I can define app types and everything for two hours a day or an hour a day or 30 minutes a day or whatever it is. And if they want more than that, they have to request it. They can, they try to open the app and it says Apple just pops up this really convenient. Enter a pin. Yep. Put in a pin code or, or ask like sometimes my son will be at his grandparents and, and I'll get a text message that is from Apple saying, Hey, your son wants to get access to this game. Are you okay with that? And I'm like, well, it's their problem. He's going to be up all night. So yeah, he gets, of course he can, he can stay, keep it open till midnight if he wants to. Right. Um, so that's the main thing you're going to look for is screen time, but screen time does include many other things. Um, and that is, uh, for example, um, permissions on websites, uh, the ability to download and restrictions on when or how you can download apps. Right. And, and, and one of the things I like a lot is restrictions on, um, removing apps. So, for example, there are a lot of parental control apps you might want on the device, um, and you don't want them to get taken off. So they can't be removed without the screen time passcode. Um, don't make your pin 1111. Yeah, make it 2222. Mm-hmm. Uh, so They'll never guess secure. that. They'll never guess it. Um, and then the, let me look at, I'm actually going to look at my son's screen time as we're talking here. I can see, so if I go to his account which is the same thing that you would do. You would you would create this iCloud account for your daughter. You would add her as a family member. Apple makes this really easy on you. If you have questions, you know, reach out and ask. Um, but once you've gotten to that point, now you can start setting up 
you know, configure, configuring it for them. So when I go to my son's, I'm on his general account right now. I can see his username and uh, not his password. I can see his username. I can change his password. I can see who his parents are with me and my wife. Um, I can see current screen time data, which there's nothing today. Cause it'd be he, awkward if you open that up and it was a different name. In there. I know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I could see whose parents are uh, Gordon. oh god that's my mailman um the i can see his apple cash balance which is something that's really cool he carries a carries a wallet but not very often he's 11 you know so it's not like he's got a driver's license and stuff his credit card or anything so he'll usually have a couple bucks in his pocket electronic payments can be taken anywhere so that's right i can send him apple cash from right here i can just i can improve it and then he'll he he like rides his bike to little stores with his friends and stuff and then he uses apple to pay to pay for it I can see his his history and the stuff that he's spent money for. It was really funny. One day, um, I got a notification that he had paid a person's name who I didn't recognize $20. And I was like, did my kid just get scammed? He bought like a Lego set from a kid at school. Like the kid, they wheeling and dealing at school. Like, and he comes, he comes home and He's I was just like, just a, a businessman doing business. Yeah. Man. Right? I was just... like, buddy, what's, what's this? And, uh, and he goes, um, he goes, oh, I paid uh, whatever the kid's name was, which is, I was like, oh, that's the name. I paid him through Apple pay for this like Lego set he didn't use. And I was like, well, okay. So first off, please don't do that. And second, really great job because that was like a $90 set. When you said Lego set for $20, yeah. as long as all the pieces are there, he probably scammed un, that un, kid. Un, unopened. I was, his, I was kind of proud of him. You know? Parents are probably going to be more upset than you should be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I can also see all of the subscriptions he has access to. So for example, um, I have like, uh, we pay for Apple music. Um, so he can, he can listen to music without ads or whatever. Um, I can see that he, that I'm sharing my location with him. He's sharing it with me. Um, I can monitor his purchases, but then when it comes to the screen time, I can do things like, um, always allowed apps. Like he has a couple of school applications that I don't want to put a time limit on because he, that he'll only ever use them for homework. Um, so I allow those at all times. Um, God, there's really, I could go on for quite a while about the amount of, uh, restrictions that exist in here, but just go through the settings. You, you could probably spend God, two hours just playing with these settings yeah. and, and really figure out what's appropriate for you and your child. Because what, what I'm using is not necessarily going to be what everybody's using, obviously. Um, I mean, I'm obviously the best parent ever. Everybody should know if I give you advice, you need to take it because I'm a parent and that's how parents work as we all know better than everybody else. Um, but if you want to do your own thing, I, I recommend doing some of your own uh, walkthrough of this app. So um, best I can answer your question for now, um, Allison, and thank you for the email, is um, use screen time on your iPhone. On Android, um, they have what's called digital well-being. You ever seen that in yours? Yeah. So digital well-being on Android is basically the same thing. Um, it is it is the alternative to screen time, and it has a lot of the exact same settings. Oh, Allison emailed back in. Hi, follow-up question. Uh, do I set up a parent password versus the phone password the kiddo will have to open the phone itself? Does it give this? Oh, that is a wonderful question. Um, I'll define that a little bit better for the audience. So you have a phone. And or the child has a phone and they have a passcode on the phone so that you'll say that their passcode to unlock the phone just to use it for anything is, you know, one, two, three, four. So they type in one, two, three, four. The pin code that you use 
to control screen time is whatever you designate and it is different. And like, let's say you make it um, five, six, seven, eight. So if you put in five, six, seven, eight, that won't unlock the phone. You still have to use the actual code to unlock the phone, but it will allow things like temporary access to restricted data to uh, more more time on an app or whatever. Making and, adjustments there locally rather than through your parent account. Right, and, and I will say that as time has gone on, they've gotten so good at how screen time works. I almost never actually touch my son's phone to make changes or to monitor anything. I pretty much do all of it from my phone. So while you will have your own pin code, you probably will only be using it on your phone. Um, and you'll still type in that pin code on your phone. When you go to modify the settings for your child's account, it'll ask you for that. It's called, it's called a screen time passcode. It's given a special name and it's easy to remember that it's different. So um, great question. I'm sure more of these will come up as we're getting into the holidays. And people are getting phones for their kids. And I think, you know, in general, kids are getting phones a lot younger. And thankfully, I will say again, another area that Apple and Android are really doing a great job is uh, keeping up with um, parents' uh, helicopter habits like my own and making sure that our kids are, are kept safe. Dawn said on the show today that the only thing, if she had a kid, the only thing they would be able to do is uh, make phone calls and send text messages. And Brandon was surprised that text messages were even an option. So like my kid can, he can kind of browse the web. It's limited. Um, I have monitoring on that. And, uh, but you know, as he gets older, we're, we're, we're leasing some of these um, uh, limitations. And, and, and that's kind of hard too, is I feel like, not, I don't want to give parenting advice for real. Didn't you, didn't you grow up with unrestricted access to the internet? You turned out. <sighs> oh my God. Okay. I did. And that was oh terrible. My, Traumatizing. It's funny how it's funny how looking back, like a lot of my creativity and like learning this industry was just like 13 year old drive, you know, like the, the things that we're interested in at 13 and like how I needed to be innovative to find what I was looking for <laughs> that drove a lot of creativity. Um, but then a lot, I think, I think most of our, our growth, all of us in this industry came from like gaming. Like we needed to figure out how to make stuff work better, but you certainly figure out ways around things. And back oh, then, see, a lot of, a lot of my interest from the software side came from exactly this, finding out how to get around early parental controls. Well, yeah, I, I was I, the, we're, wait, how old are you? At 30. So, so I'm, I'm not, I'm 36. So I'm not far before no. you, but I think just far enough that like parental controls were really not a thing. Oh yeah. So my parents were big on using AOL and I learned real quick <laughs> that internet Explorer was different and my mm. parents didn't realize that deleting the icon was not the same as uninstalling it, which you could That's not so do. Awesome. Yeah. Um, but I was also, I was the kid in, in high school who had like proxy lists that I was subscribed to. Oh. So kids would come to me and be like, Hey, what's the new working website to get to our social media and get to Pandora. Dude, YouTube. I got a deep cut. I don't know if anybody remember, remembers this, but um, back when AOL would send out the discs, right? The CDs, like uh, there was a joke at the time, like if there was ever nuclear winter, the only thing left would be all the AOL discs that you could find everywhere in right. every store at every checkout aisle sent to you. They would be mail. just in the gutter yeah, on the ground walking Yeah, over by. the place. And um, then Net Zero came along and a couple of other similar companies. And I had this program that I found... <laughs> rather unscrupulously and it was called chopping broccoli and chopping broccoli would falsify login codes for free dial up trials with net zero. 
So you get this net zero disk and you get 30 minutes of, of free internet access by using your landline to use a dial-up modem to connect to the internet. And after 30 minutes, it would cut you off. But uh, chopping broccoli would just refresh a code at the 29 minute mark and keep me access. So I had free internet access through a different provider that my parents didn't even know about. Nice. And I used it that way for years. And I learned so much about, well, not years, maybe a year. Um, but my, I learned so much about like how networking uh, worked at that time, like how a dial-up modem functioned and how you can fool them and how crazy simple it was to fool these major companies to get you temporary access. So um, I guess the only, the only thing to take away from that is... Uh, you know, maybe not every kid is going to be try as, harder to lock your kids down. Yeah, not every kid is going <laughs> to probably be as uh, as um, uh, likely to push for getting around things as Ryan and I. But um, through my experience, the default applications built into your Android phone and your iPhone are pretty good about making it hard for children to get around them. Um, there's way more out there. And if you know that your kid is a troublemaker or is the type of person to push the boundaries, um, there's pretty much an answer to lock them down for every scenario. Um, they can get more complex, but in most cases, what the things I've been talking about today are, are plenty. Um, so moving on to, uh, I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about privacy. We were talking about Life360 and privacy, and I said I wanted to get more into that. Um, they hinted at this on the show a little bit today, and Rob's talked about it in the past. There was a, a, a court ruling recently. A judge upheld a decision from a class action lawsuit that basically just says it's okay for auto, auto manufacturers to sell your data. And the data that they're collecting is kind of one of the worst, uh, worst lists of data that I've seen sold willingly and publicly and knowingly. Um, Honda was one of the companies that was involved with it. There's a few other major car manufacturers. But basically, uh, what I want to talk about today is the technical side of this. Um, so it's not just you know how fast you drive and what radio station do you listen to, uh, how much do you weigh if they have the sensors in the seats. It's not just that stuff, which is which is already kind of an invasion of privacy. But it's the technical things that kind of scare me because you connect your phone to your car. Now, uh, Ford is known to have the Ford Sync system. Yep. Uh, I had I had a Ford Edge for a while. It was a 2016. And that was, I want to say it was the first or second year that had the Ford Sync 3 system, which basically let you uh, connect to like Wi-Fi and you can, you can automatically update your, um, your GPS through yeah. it by connecting to Wi-Fi. You can connect your phone to it. But one of the things that m many modern auto manufacturers do, which is really convenient, is if you connect your phone through Bluetooth and you're driving and you get a text message, one thing that most people are used to is that if your phone's connected through Bluetooth, it might pipe a little you know, ding through your speakers and notify you that you've received a text. But many um, auto manufacturers now offer an option to read that text out on the screen. Sometimes it's through that little screen uh, at the gauge cluster behind your steering wheel. Um, other times it's on the main screen. Sometimes it, it just plays it through your speaker. Might just read it to you. Yeah. Right. Um, how does it get that text message, right? Your phone is connected through Bluetooth and, and your phone says, you, you have a setting turned on on your phone saying send messages to this Bluetooth device, which is your car. When you send a message to the device, your car, it's not saying 
just read this text from my phone and then delete it. It's yeah, it's sending a copy of the message that's being stored on your car. To your car. Yeah. So your car now has a copy of your inbound text messages. And if you replied using like, okay, let me reply. I'm going to hit this button while uh, on my steering wheel while I'm driving. And I'm going to say my response. And I'm going to confirm it. And I'm going to send it. And then that message gets sent to your phone and routed back out through a text message. That is also stored in your car. Now, depending on the manufacturer that you have and what agreements that they have to sell user data, they are not only capable of, they are selling text message data to, to advertisers, which yeah. is terrifying. That's like, a, that's almost as private as it gets. Like yeah. that, that and pictures. And that's another thing is people change the backgrounds on these big fancy screens in their cars. So you get this new car and it has a, you know, a 15 inch touchscreen display in the center console and you want a picture of your family in the background. So you open up the settings to the app that syncs to your car and you say, do you want to allow this app to have access to your photos? To your photo gallery. And you say, yes. Now on iPhone, you'll have to tell me if you've seen this on Android. On iPhone, I can say specific photos and I can choose which photos it has access to and push those photos to whatever I want. When you have an app on Android, say, do you want to give this app? Do, do you have the option? I have not seen clear? it for specific photos, only for defining whether or not the app always has access <laughs> or I give it one-time access. So, okay. I mean, that's kind of terrifying because one-time access could be 500 photos in, sure. a, in a few seconds. Sure. It just uploads all that data, right? Uh, so on iPhone, I, I choose the option specific photos and, mm. and, I, and I choose a picture of, of a mountainscape and I upload it. And that's fine. Who cares if they sell that picture of a mountainscape? But this is a private picture after all. And they're going to use it to train their AI they're going to, yeah, creator. Oh, for sure they are. I mean, that's, that's kind of like a given at this point. Um, but I think probably the, the more concerning part is you're uploading pictures that are personal. Sometimes they're, you know, they have children in them. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's about as bad as it gets. I was going to say kind of risky photos, but yeah, that's, I wouldn't want to. Well, if you're putting a risky photo <laughs> on your car on background, your 15 inch, dude, <laughs> tell me you haven't screen. seen those like waifu anime cars driving around with like, you know, oh, the naked anime. Yeah, yeah. Like those are course. wild. So pe I wouldn't be surprised about some of the pictures people put on the inside of their car. Yeah, you know, like I'm, fair. I'm a little less likely to put something like that on mine, but, um, yeah, I mean, people don't think about that kind of thing. And I really honestly wouldn't have either. It's I'm just... now more anxious about calling an Uber. <laughs> <laughs> and you just never know what, yeah, what you're going to find. So uh, when you grant your phone, when you grant your car access to read your messages, just be aware that um, those are no longer your messages. When those messages get pushed to the car, they're the auto manufacturer's copy that they can do with what they want. They legally own it. Right. And a judge just upheld this, which is so wild to me that, I mean, I get why the reason why is that the EULA, the user and or the end user license you agreed agreement, to it. Yeah. You agreed to it. You bought the car. It was in the fine print. You said it was fine. Yeah. Right. So, and you know, what are you going to say? I, I want to buy this car, but I don't agree to this part. And then the Ford dealership is just like, cool, we'll strike that out and we'll make sure we, you know, like that's not how it works. So they're going to get their data and, uh, and, and that's terrifying. So don't, don't, um, give them your data and drive safely and handle text messages in a safe manner. But 
modern iPhones and Androids can read these off to you yeah. when you're connected to Bluetooth without your car having to know those. So on an iPhone, I'm going to walk you guys through it real quick. You go to your settings and you go to Bluetooth and then you'll have your, in your Bluetooth, you'll see my devices. So like in my case, I see my Apple watch, I see my headset and I see my car. So I'm going to tap on the little blue eye next to my car and I can see the things that it can read. So I, it says that it can sync my contacts. I have that turned on. I probably shouldn't. And knowing Tesla, they probably are selling those already. Um, I have, uh, let's see, recent calls. That's kind of convenient, again, at the cost of security. Um, but I don't have messages turned on. And I, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Tesla doesn't even... It, there might be an option to read out messages. Either that or just... It never even asked my phone because I knew out of the gate, like, I don't want you to read my text messages to me. Apple does it better than you do it anyway. Um, so that that's where you find it if you're, you're an iPhone user. And it's very similar on Android. You go to your settings, go to Bluetooth. And then actually, you can navigate to Bluetooth a little easier, too. That swipe down from the top right menu. You yeah, and that's, you can define each little connected device which uh, specific permission it has access to. Yeah. And so same thing. You'll see your car in there. Uh, the car name sometimes is tricky. Like the, uh, one of our coworkers has a Hyundai and I think that one came up with the name of the car, but he has a Honda. And it, would you remember what he said yesterday? It was like, he said my media or something. Yeah, that like sounds that. right. I think it was, it, but it was kind of uh, arbitrary, yeah. the name. So what you could do just to be safe is go through any Bluetooth device that you have that your phone recognizes and just turn all of those that have access to messages or pictures or whatever, turn that stuff off. off. Yeah. And if something breaks, you know where to fix it. Yep. You know where to find it and make a change. Um, so uh, the moral of the story, please be careful what you hit the allow access button to because it usually will mean that they're, I mean, it's, it's coming at the cost of convenience or, or it's coming at the benefit of convenience, but it comes at the cost of privacy yeah. or security, depending on who the company is that's using this data. And in this case, car manufacturers are, I mean, it's not like, you know, people, companies that make cars are known to be the most honorable bunch. So what, really? yeah, what they're doing with our text messages, I couldn't even imagine. Like, why would they want that? I mean, really, like, that's a real question. Like, what are they, what are they doing with it? What would you do with hundreds of thousands of text messages from users. Are you, and who are you selling it to? Like an auto manufacturer company has, as far as I can think, no benefit to know what I'm talking about. They've got to be parsing it with AI. Even if they are, I don't think they have the benefit. I think the benefit is whoever they're oh, selling. Oh, who they it sell it to. Yeah, right. of course. Which they makes would... it so much worse. Yeah. You know, what are they you, doing? You know, they're going to they're gonna package it by keyword or right. oh, God. interest. Car type, yeah. car value, zip yeah. code that it was purchased in. I mean, yeah. there's so much that they could they could do there. Um, so speaking of cars, one of the last things I wanted to talk about today was um, I, I was reluctant to bring up EVs um, because I know what the stigma is about people who drive them. And let me just start by saying, I drive one. I what? I, I I don't wear a Tesla hoodie. Not any, Not right now. <laughs> not when you see me on the not, air. Not on Tech to You Tuesday. Not on Tech to You Tuesday. Yeah, I I don't have a Tesla mug that I that I rock around the shop. The picture of Elon Musk that's behind me was a gag gift that I felt bad about and I had to put up, but that's not going to live there. That's it was a joke, um, and it's with that one from the Joe Rogan podcast where he's smoking weed and it came with a couple of other birthday gifts from our managers here and I I felt bad about not putting it up, so it was I was guilted into having that on the wall. Um, 
But when it comes to nobody guilted him, he put it up. Himself. <laughs> it was a little bit of guilt. Um, when it when it comes to EVs and cars in general, I'm a car guy. I always have been. Uh, I like I like racing. I I like driving safely, but I like driving unsafely. Um, and and so right now the car that I'm driving is a, a Tesla Model S Plaid, which is a ridiculously fast car that I should not have purchased, but it's a lot of fun. I bought it because it's fast. I didn't buy it for the whole environment saving component. It's a cool side effect of owning an EV is that there's there's a environmental benefits. There's a lot of other cool benefits about an EV. Things that you don't really think about, like you can. It's not like you sit in your garage often in your car, but sometimes you pull in and you're listening to a show or whatever. Uh, you're, you know, you get you get home and you're listening to the new Rad 24-7 station and you want to finish the end of the segment, but you can't close your garage door and let your car keep running. A tip to those that don't know, I actually just... Was that you that told me about this? That you knew somebody who didn't know that that was a thing? That you can't run your car in your garage? I hope I don't know anybody that doesn't know that. It was somebody point. here who told me that... They That's ha- terrifying. They had like a family member or a friend. Actually, I remember who it is. I'm not going to out him. Um, but he, he said that th- somebody started the car in the garage and just kept it running for like 20 minutes. And it, and, and it was the garage door was shut and uh, it, they had an upstairs that was above the garage. And he's like, you, what are you doing? You can't do that. Like, you're going to die. Um, anyway, it was like kind of a, a small thing is like, you know, you can run the car inside of the, the garage and you sit in a parking lot and you use battery instead of gas, which is fine. But like, it's, it's just quiet. You can listen to the radio with using very little energy without having to worry about, you know, quote unquote, killing your battery. So little, little weird side effects. Um, but anyway, I've been reluctant to talk about EVs because... As much as I am a car guy, I'm nowhere near as knowledgeable about cars as I am computers and consumer electronics, but I I know maybe more than the average person. So um, something came up recently about uh, EVs, and this is a topic that's it's hotly debated because of the politics of it, which is unfortunate because at, at the end of the day, electric cars are just an alternative means of transportation that either work for you or it doesn't. And I, I leave the politics aside. They work for some people really well. Uh, and they don't for others. And I would not even recommend them to most people. Um, you really have to be a good use case. I think even still, like as good as charging networks and things are getting, it's still not the best it could be. So uh, Dodge has uh, released, well, sorry, it's not Dodge. It's it's Ram. Uh, Dodge doesn't make the Ram anymore, I guess. It's just called Ram as the truck. So before I get red penned by anybody... Ram is making a new truck called the Ram Charger, and it's a 2020. I know I, I wasn't in the in the room with those fellows when they came up with that name. Um, Dodge has the Ram. Dodge has the Charger. The Ram Charger. I mean, it sounds like they got the guys from the Transformers. Um, you know, Decepticon, you know, like they were trying to get one of these. Just picture a bunch of dudes in a, a writer's room frothing at the mouth over this name. <laughs> like the guy who said it, like everybody looked at him and gave him high fives. Ripped his shirt off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Pour me a beer. Not a Budweiser. Wait, no. Is that the, is that the, is that Bud the brand? Light. Bud Light. Not a Bud Light. You know, they had they had to have a different brand. Uh, so they made the Ram Charger. They they were elated with their with with, with what they've created. Uh, let me show it to you real quick. I'll bring it up here on the. Um, I'll bring it up on the screen. So as as far as a truck is concerned, it's fine. 
I don't know. I don't have a problem with it. I don't love it. Um, Ryan said he liked it better than the, the Ford Lightning. Ford's electric Yeah, I like truck. the way it looks more than the Lightning for sure. I kind of like the front end of the Lightning a little bit better. Um, I'm not really particular to a brand of truck. I know you're either like a Chevy, a Dodge, or a Ford guy, or, or a Toyota, or whatever. Like, I, I get it. I'm not, I don't really care. Um, they all look fine. But as far as, as far as this truck is concerned, let's just talk about some of the basic things that an EV truck sucks at. It sucks at towing. It sucks at long distance driving. Um, it sucks at, uh, not much else. I mean, sometimes if it's, it's a cyber truck. None of it's pieces okay align. cyber trucks don't even count those things are the dumbest design for a truck i don't get it like i i, I so, so many people bought them i hey, don't i look, don't get it they can take a bow and arrow yeah that's true yeah you can shoot it yeah as joe rogan has confirmed you can shoot it with a broadside bow and it won't go through the door and in fact i don't think they've done the, the announcement yet but they shot it with like a bunch of 45s and nine millimeters and didn't penetrate the doors which dope if That's you need a bulletproof truck cool. like yeah right on man cool um i i think that there's parts about the cyber truck that are interesting and 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 funny and and um whatever I, it's not it's not my cup of tea so um this 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 truck though uh, oh sorry one other thing that they usually are kind of bad at is that the bodies of a lot of electric trucks they try to make them as light as they can because right. the battery weighs a ton. So you end up with these like aluminum beds that suck. So you go pick up a bunch of bricks and now you got holes in your bed. Um, so And, and I th if I'm not mistaken, Ford got hit pretty hard about that by, you know, like this is like one of the Chevy ads. Like, look how crappy this bed is. It's made out of cheap aluminum. Ours is still made out of steel, whatever it is. So those are kind of the things that seem to be the biggest concerns uh, from truck owners. The biggest one being towing and, and distance. Right. I got to say, I think Ram has done a very good job of solving one of those for sure, but to a degree, both for the, for the average person, maybe you're towing a boat. Okay. So this, the Ram charger, I need like a sound effect. Like we got to run that into a sound effect board and add some reverb and some, like some boom to it. It just has to be a dude shouting it immediately after. <laughs> Ram charger. So, so when you go Ram charger, it's just Ram charger. <laughs> yeah, whenever we talk about this, it's going to have to have that audio effect. So let's talk about some specs on this thing. It's got 690 miles <sighs> of combined range. Combined because... What's the range on your Tesla? Uh, well, it was probably 390 before I changed stuff. Now it's like 300. Because huh. I, I changed the wheels out and that like killed the capacity. And I lowered it and it's, it's not what it was. But I think it's rated at like 390, something like that. Which is one of the higher uh, ranges for an electric car. So like 300 miles more than... Yeah, I mean significantly more than what a high mileage distance tesla is capable of and you figure like a really good electric car having 400 to let's say 450 miles of range this is at 690 that is shattering records that's but there's a reason for it because while the drivetrain is electric and there's electric motors and there's a big electric battery there is also a gasoline generator and and so it's a gas truck <laughs> It's a gas truck, um, but you can plug it in. So let me let me run through let me just run through the day to day of what it would be like to drive this thing. 
for I think the average person, let's say this is your main go to work everyday vehicle. You are going to plug it in at night at your house. You're going to charge it and you get a hundred and I think it was 190 miles or 160 miles of range with just the electric battery. So you plug it in at home, you get ready for your day. You got a hundred, let's just say conservative conservatively, you've got 150 miles of range. So you drive I don't know, on average, what somebody drive to work, 25 miles, I think is a normal. So you have a 50 mile round trip. You pick up your kid at the school. You have to go to the grocery store, You're probably doing less than a hundred miles. So you can run your day on just the electric battery. You go home, you plug it in. You still got a truck ready to be charged up the next morning. And, and, and it can do all electric for the average day. Okay. But now you need to go drive out of town and you need a longer range. Well, you have this gas generator which provides power to your battery now it's not like what we think about when we think of a hybrid car it's different it has an actual generator which is just intended to power it's your just battery. charging your battery it's just charging your battery so i the thing i like about this is dodge they didn't tackle this from the approach of let's save the environment because that is kind of bs in a big way for a lot of these cars, especially now, and depending on how people charge them and where that power is coming from, there's a lot of all the batteries uh, being manufactured. Right, there's a lot of misconception in like how you're saving the environment with an EV. That's it's just not true. You can you can do it in a certain way, and it can be environmentally beneficial. But the average person isn't, and especially with a hybrid. Um, so, in a traditional hybrid, you would have an electric motor that works in conjunction with your combustion motor. And both can provide power um, independently or together to provide combined power output through your transmission to, to your wheels. In this case, again, it's just a generator that provides more power to a battery, which uh, provides power to these electric motors and, and drives the car. So with that generator at a full tank, 600, 690 miles of range. So you add your 100 and let's say 150 conservatively miles of range to your electric battery. You've got like another 500 miles on a full gas tank on this truck. Now then it sounds like that generator can charge it more quickly than you can use the energy. Right. And I'm assuming that's the case because if it's not. Because if you have to stop every 50 miles, 100 miles to, to charge, charge it, the battery. this becomes way less impressive exactly now this is not out to the public yet nobody's drive tested this but it's got a it's a 3.6 liter uh pentastar engine which is this it's a it's a 130 kilowatt uh generator now the fact that it's 130 kilowatts should be enough to surpass the utilization capacity unless maybe you're like going top speed constantly like you're going i don't know what its top speed is but let's pretend it's like 150 unless you're like florida at 150 maximizing usage ac up and music blaring anything that can consume battery maybe then but i would be surprised if, if it couldn't keep up um just based on the simple math here uh so you've got this generator that can power your battery um if you're somebody who doesn't care about the environmental impacts of your vehicle the reason i like this is because it's 690 miles of range, you have the option of an electric charging station or gas, and you have significantly reduced overhead with mechanical repairs. There's no transmission. Yeah. 
I mean, Dodge is not notoriously a company with terrible transmissions, but no company is notoriously amazing at making reliable, long lasting transmissions. But something that's been proven for decades is that DC motors last and they last a really, really long time. There's a Tesla model S from 2012 that has over a million miles on it. And there's many that are approaching a million with original motors. And now the batteries have been swapped out because the life the life of that lithium ion battery has degraded and it's needed right. to be replaced. That's fully recyclable in most cases. They're expensive. But the thing I like about this is you're getting, I think, genuinely the best of both worlds. There's uh, targeted torque. So targeted meaning they're not They're not official. 100% sure. It's, not, it's like when you, uh, when you purchase an internet package with yeah, Comcast. targeted downloads yeah your your theoretical max download speed is one gigabit right now in this case i i will say that i don't have any reason to believe that uh dodge is going to oversell us on these numbers because no but everybody's usage will be different somebody right. carrying a full family in their yeah. car cool. with a, a a bed load of crap Bricks. is gonna yeah yeah who knows get less power yeah so 663 horsepower total torque is looking at they're looking at six uh 615 foot pounds of torque so i mean you could do some towing um and it's zero to 64.4 seconds that's incredible For i mean truck, yeah, yeah you are keeping up with many porsches at 4.4 seconds and so zero to 60 awesome um targeted best in class maximum towing capacity fourteen thousand pounds maximum payload 2600 the maximum payload is not super impressive. The The maximum towing capacity, 14,000 pounds, pretty good. And so you're pulling your boat and you're going to the lake and the lake is 200 miles away. No concern about range here. Even if you are getting far less um, uh, performance or sorry, uh, efficiency because you're towing a boat, which is one of the biggest issues with electric cars, is you can just hit a gas station and load it back up. And I, the thing I love about this is you don't have to worry about replacing a transmission. You don't have to worry about the standard motor issues that you would in most cars because you're using this motor only when you need it. So even then, let's just say the, you know, go to kind of a traditional motor problem, the head cracks. We get a pretty major problem at this point, but you're replacing a generator at that point. You're not. How long does fuel sit before it starts to go bad? Um, I, I've heard that like three to six months is kind you, of the standard. You theoretically start seeing some people who are like, yeah, I keep that's interesting. the full tank of gas, but I only drive 20 miles for work every day and never actually travel with it. There's there's um, fuel preservatives that yeah, exist. Yeah. So I, that that is kind of interesting, though. I kind of wonder how that would affect the person who buys a truck but never really uses it as a truck. And then only does a hundred miles a day and never touches the gas engine. I, I, I don't know. I, I had actually that the thing I'm, I'm excited about with this. And the reason I wanted to bring it up is that when it comes to EVs and a, a lot of uh, cars in general, um, I like talking about this kind of stuff because I have some knowledge of it. And with the electric cars in particular, the thing I will tout all day, having experience with sports cars, trucks, SUVs, of all forms, um, the maintenance sucks. And it's not that they break down more or less frequently, it's that when a repair is needed, it can be super expensive um, and complicated and hard to find and it just doesn't drive right. And with an electric car, and the thing I like about this truck is it's got an electric drivetrain. You have a battery, 
and you have motors. And, th- and, and I mean, yes, there's more, but that's really it. That's the yeah. main driving system. So these motors are easy to diagnose and replace. They're, um, they're, they're and generally speaking, we're not going to see a, a company, especially new as these new cars are coming out, we're not going to see them disassembling these electric motors and performing repairs when something goes wrong. They just get a quick swap. Yeah. So downtime is is a lot easier to prevent. Um, parts are more readily available for DC motors than very special, unique parts machined for only three years of this exact pickup truck. Um, so that's the kind of thing I like about this, and I'm excited by it. There's some other things I'll show you guys if you're if you're watching here still. Uh, here's your little plug-in charging port, and uh, it's got onboard power options, so it's got um, like a couple of charging ports in the bed. That's kind of normal, I think, even for a lot of the gas trucks now. Um, Hands-free driving, again, becoming more normal. One pedal driving is cool because the brakes in electric cars last a lot longer because you can just let off the gas and it uses the... uh, It's like a feedback system or something like that. Yeah, you can... Well, sort of, yeah. Basically what happens is it's... Yeah, it's called... Oh God, the, the word is just like escaped my my mind. Um, regenerative braking. Yeah. So what you're doing is as you're as you're uh, as you let off of the the accelerator, I won't call it the gas because it's electric, um, and you're and you're decelerating. It uses the mass of your vehicle and the tension on that electric motor to generate power. Because basically, what you're doing is if you're not feeding the motor power, you're allowing it to just roll freely like you're going to maybe come to a stop so you let off the accelerator and you're and you're all that momentum is a large amount of energy that's that that mass uh uh, that potential energy is is significant i mean you've got you know a four or five thousand pound vehicle um pushing and turning this electric motor which can generate power so it pushes that power back into the battery now as you get used to one pedal driving you rarely touch the brakes you hardly ever let off of the gas and actually put your foot on the brake because you kind of figure out that distance that it stops on its own. Um, that means that your brakes last, I'm not joking, 100,000 miles. Like that's mm. not unheard of at all. To, that's like normal, 100,000 miles wow. on, on pads and rotors on, on an electric car. So again, less maintenance. Um, and you know, there's obviously the fancy big old 14 and a half touchscreen that they've got in the center. Uh, that you can use your smartphone as a key. It comes with all the other cool little benefits that an electric car would. Um, and so, you know, I wanted to wrap up today with with just talking about this because if you guys have interest in these kinds of things or have questions about EVs, it is an area that I have a good amount of knowledge and I, I kind of just... Uh, play around looking at, at new devices. I, I test drive a lot of electric cars for fun and new cars in general for that matter. Um, so if you guys have questions or that's something you're of, you have interest in, uh, feel free to email in about it. I'd love to hear what your interest is in that topic and if it's something you guys want to keep hearing about. Um, I'll close this off with one last email we got uh, from Chris. He says, good morning, fellas. Quick question about the cars selling your info. I have an older 2003 Yukon, but I have a kind of newer, maybe 2015 aftermarket model of a uh, Boss sound system with a screen that pops up and everything. Will it ask me if I can sync my contacts and read my messages and all of that if I connect Bluetooth? It it probably will. Um, is the company Boss Audio selling my info? I highly doubt the older 2003 Yukon can do this. So, uh, you know, that leads to a good clarifying point. As long as that device isn't connecting out to the internet in any way, then no. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, the reason why the Ford that I had, the 2016 Ford uh, with sync was capable of selling my info was because I connected that car to Wi-Fi. When I did that, 
I gave it the ability to upload data back to the, the mothership. Yeah. If you don't, if your car is not connected to the internet, you don't have to worry about what I'm talking about. Um, now that said, how do you know? Well, if you didn't connect it to Wi-Fi, that's one good indicator. But a lot of new cars come with cell signals built into them. That or they connect to your app and then use that app to relay that, information. That too. So you it. connect the app to your phone. There's communication between the app and your phone. The app can obviously connect to the internet because it's on your phone. So um, you can kind of, you know, not too difficult to identify where these connections are. If you if you got a, a Boss sound system or a Panasonic or a whatever touchscreen aftermarket deck that you put in your car, um, as long as you're not connecting it to the internet and it's not connected to your phone through like their own unique app, yeah, you don't really have to worry about this kind of thing. Um, I don't know whether or not that device still would store your text messages. Right. Like you sell your car to somebody else and then maybe they can pull those messages out. That seems unlikely. Um, I would just say that if you have a car that's capable of Bluetooth, try to use the functions of your phone's Bluetooth car integration. Right. Like if, if you've got Android Auto because you have an, uh, an Android device or you have Apple CarPlay because you have an Apple device, use that as much as you can because when your Apple CarPlay reads a text message your car doesn't know what that said. Yeah. It's all routing through Apple's private little system. It's basically just using your speakers. Yeah. Same thing with, with Android Auto. So that would be the safer way to do that is to, to use those systems to your advantage. Great question. I appreciate it. And uh, I appreciate everybody staying on. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Uh, we look forward to seeing you again next Tuesday.